also low-key a threat that if you don't study hard enough, you will become a scavenger and I want you to already experience it. So you're going to study hard for your exam without me reminding you. Welcome back to Berlin Midnight Meals. I was at my gynecologist today to do my annual checkup, the super nasty one that they put some metal stick into your vagina and stir things around. And very rarely, I was actually on time. That's super, super rare for me. And today I was actually like 10 minutes earlier. So I was just sitting in the waiting room with a lot of other girls. That clinic was super busy. I was already lucky that at least I was sitting there waiting, but not at home staring at my laptop not knowing what to do because the next appointment is literally next year or like half year later. It's always so hard, like bureaucratically, but also like you literally need to be very competitive to get the basic appointments in the city. In front of gynecologists, you're just so vulnerable because it's not just like you've caught a cold, right? Like that they just check a little bit your breath, listen to your lungs, and that's all. I see all these young girls in the room, also observe a little bit their outfit and such because, yeah, I'm always like a tiny bit fashion person. Many of them wear really cool stuff, really nice stuff. But then I see them walking into the room and taking so long in the room. I was already imagining in my head what kind of torture they are having in that room. I've been there many times and every time when I go inside, I feel like I'm just like an animal that you pull down your pants and then you just sit there, spread your legs. Like the gynecologists, they're always very like straight face, looking really cold, which I also understand. I don't think in that situation, like them having a smile on their face would make me feel easier. I don't know. I literally don't know what could have made me feel more at ease in that situation, in that room, sitting on that damn chair. I feel like I'm at a farm and I'm just one one of the pigs that get checked if the skin is alright. It's like a weird feeling that you are naked, but you're not doing any kind of activities. You're not taking nudes, of course, not making out with anyone, or you're not performing some dance or what. No, you're not doing any activities that your personality, your characters can still shine through a little bit. Everything they can see is just your body. It's just like bodies of different sizes and you have a little bit different skin color. You are a bit thicker or thinner. Everything feels very emotionless. I'm privileged enough that I've never experienced a war. But that reminds me of this kind of scene in some war movies that people also queuing up. And it's always like young people, bunch of zombies. And then you go into the room and no one is gonna ask you, oh, do you feel okay? Uh, let me know if you feel painful. Like no one's gonna say any shit like this. They're gonna follow the procedure on the book and then they ask you to go. Everyone is kind of equal, like in a weird sense, because no matter if you are attractive or unwanted, we're all equal in that room because we're just a piece of body and we are just like animal that gets assessed. Only thing they're checking is your vagina as a vagina, is it looking all right? 
It's not gonna be like this is the good vagina and this is a bad vagina. No, there's not even like moral standard or judgment on this. It's just purely medical, kind of depressing. Yeah, but it's fine and it's already over. Again, I spoke German there. Pretty good, actually, even pretty fluent. Because as I said before, I'm actually quite comfortable with speaking German in front of doctors. Because you, you're going to do this kind of things. You're going to pull down your pants in front of them. So what ego? What dignity? You have none anyways. So for me, it's not even just my vagina got checked. My butthole also got looked into. There's nothing left in front of the doctors. I'm fine. Like my German can sound shit in front of them. I really don't care. Maybe they're more optimistic about my German than my butthole. In last episode, I was shitting a lot on marketing content, just basically saying how much I hated it and it's not so meaningful. And ironically, I started posting my first reel ever in my Instagram account last week. The reason was I realized that if you don't promote at all your podcast, it's not really going to get pushed anywhere. After checking the listens, and most of them still probably came from my friends, so I decided to put down my ego and really try to promote it. And maybe also accept that uh, I'm just not so good at it. That's why I hated it so much. While you're like, okay, if people don't want to listen, then they just don't listen. Like, actually... You can't always be so cool, right? Because in the end, you still put in so many hours into this podcast, not to mention how many hours I spend on editing them, that you, your work is more or less in vain if no one listened to this. Um, that doesn't make sense. You know, you make something that you want people to listen, but in the end, you're like, I don't really want all of you to listen. I only want to give you access through invitation. This doesn't make sense, actually. I'm not on TikTok yet because I don't feel safe with this app and just don't want to download it to my phone. So I'm still on Instagram, YouTube, like watching shots and what's the other thing called? Uh, yeah, the reels um, as like a TikTok alternative. So that's where I started with Instagram reels. I was completely blown away by the feature. I forgot whether or not I mentioned that I actually have a video editing background. So at first, I actually started uh, making the video in Premiere Pro, the editing software, trying to put the emoji there, you know, download the emoji as a, as a PNG and then somehow put it in and even like with all the color correction and stuff. Uh, and then I realized you can just do it super easily directly in Instagram. That really... Yeah, that really blew my mind because I really thought, okay, that's kind of my field. I should know how to do it. But actually, no, like the world has changed so much. Like, Because in the past, people were always so proud about their software proficiency, graphic design and such. Like they know how to use the like Illustrator, Photoshop, this kind of very complicated looking softwares. But nowadays, you can make as good graphics in Canva and just with way less time. After trying to make reels, I was also thinking about what I said last episode, like my fear for getting famous and such. That's actually quite ridiculous, you know? Like I try so hard to put this reel together 
of course navigating different things but also um not sure about so many things and yeah i barely got some comments like all the comments i got was like i can help you boost your account like this kind of spam comments and of course not so many views it's like some 100 views and 10 likes things like this and i actually put in a lot of time so it's not like i didn't try hard i did try and yeah uh, so now I know how ridiculous I was when I was talking about all this shit. No, it's not that easy to get famous. Like nowadays, it's kind of easy to get famous, but it's also kind of hard to get famous because you have so many famous people out there on the internet and also, of course, in real life and just so many different kinds of famous people. While in the past, you only had this kind of traditional celebrity, maybe like, you know, on TV and such, and now just everywhere, on OnlyFans, uh, Twitch, like just everywhere, for real. Most people still put a lot of effort behind that. Just looking back to what I said, I'm like a fucking nobody who's worrying about getting too famous than what I can handle. Exactly sounds like some poor ass talking about how unbearable it is to be rich. But whatever, now I have a bit more awareness. I know where I am. Uh, I'm not going to worry so much. So I'm just going to go full on and not trying to hold back. So yeah, I guess I have to actually apologize to all the marketing people if you're in that field i don't know whether you got offended maybe when you heard me talk about all this marketing shit you were already like okay this bitch doesn't know what she's talking about <coughs> apart from podcasts i also do stand-up comedy sometimes no surprise right because so many podcasters are stand-up comedians it's a pretty common thing because it's all about talking of course it's a very different format of delivery but still similar stuff i think i'm kind of a comedian but definitely a pretty amateur one because i don't really do it that regularly okay again it's not like i'm afraid to get famous it's just like i cannot really handle that much because i still have to work and such sometimes i just don't have good ideas for good joke i just like i just pause from time to time and getting back to it pretty much like my german actually yeah, you're just tired and then you, yeah, have a break. And then after some months, you kind of feel bad and guilty uh, for whatever reason and you get back to it. Even though I'm super amateur, I've already met quite a lot of stand-up comics here. I haven't befriended really like anyone. We would stay a little bit longer to have a drink or so, but not so much like still hanging out um, even if we don't have a show together, not like that. Just from these very shallow interactions with other comics, I sometimes think comedians need comedy more than the audience. Everyone, of course, more or less have some problems here. And it's nothing you're ashamed of, right? Because comedy nowadays is about your vulnerability on the stage and your weaknesses. No one is interested in how good you are at something. It's mostly about how dumb you look when you do certain things or some traumas, especially in Berlin. Many of us have our jokes about trauma. We, of course, say it on the stage in a jokey way, but there's quite a lot of truth in it. It's not like we're going to cry. I mean, I also talk a lot about my parents that I definitely care. Come on. Like, it's not like I'm so cool that I don't care at all. I still have a lot of grudge. I'm just still angry, low-key angry or actually high-key angry. 
I'm not completely over, but I'm also not tearing up when I talk about this. Berlin is very, very international, but still, there is a German-speaking scene versus English-speaking scene. So it's also pretty hard to make friends, especially when you're new to a big city. So I think many of the comics gain not just confidence, but really a lot of security to performing. When I started this, the biggest reason was I was just really mentally tired of my job, but not just my job, but my life. It's just very different from being in Hong Kong. There are lots of culture activities that I can still go, but I cannot enjoy fully as I was in Hong Kong that I understand the language so well that I could consume any form of art. There are, for example, theater. That's something I, I don't really go to anymore, like now, like in Berlin, because I, I just don't I really understand, right? The cool ones, I think, and I like this kind of more original new scripts. They are mostly in German. I just can't go to this kind of things. I've lost my culture base. And as a person that used to be quite cultured, I was this kind of book, film, theater nerd. I want to do something that could just to fill up the emptiness. Also, this human interaction, right? The human touch is not always there. Come on, it's Berlin. Just like how would you answer to people's how are you? Most of the time you just say, yeah, good. Sometimes you want to, actually you want to share more, but you're also afraid like, would I be oversharing if I say this and that. So I think comedy really give you this platform that you could just talk to some strangers without worrying too much. I almost feel like telling stories to my Tinder dates back then. I'm not really afraid of anything when I tell things to strangers. I could sometimes even relax more. So with like Tinder dates, it felt like this. I just say whatever. And they sometimes also told me some crazy shit, like really crazy shit. I don't know whether that was real, but I also felt like they didn't have a reason to lie to me. It's not like I was very important to them. It's exactly because I was so unimportant to them. They could just tell this to me without worrying. Oh, would I know this person, that person? I'm just projecting a little bit, maybe. Yeah, there are lots of comics that are very different when they talk off stage. They're very different from how they sound and look on stage. But there are also a lot of comics that are pretty much the same on and off stage. They are also still very bubbly. It's a very interesting scene, I would say. Pretty diverse as well. Just more authentically diverse than many companies that put this kind of diversity, equity, inclusivity lines in their job ad that they don't discriminate. Of course, you don't discriminate. If you discriminate, would you put that in your job ad? I was pretty much a workaholic. So, okay, I think I've been a workaholic my whole life, but I think different levels, like not always draining myself that much, let's say. I am a person that is kind of traditional in this sense as well, that I care a lot about things like work ethics and responsibility, competence. I was really, really judgy when I saw people were not as responsible as I would wish them to be or not as competent and they're in a position that I would have more expectation. Even when I did something inofficial, just like tiny personal group project, 
I always felt so strongly about this. I think most of the time I was just annoyed. I got annoyed very easily. So on one hand, I think I was pretty good at executing a lot of things in a group setting, but at the same time, I also got frustrated all the time because, of course, it's a group of people. So of course, not everyone could meet your expectation. There would always be some moments that not everyone looks so competent. Probably same for myself. I would just judge to a very, let's say, granular level that, for example, how frequent this happened. I think I also have pretty low tolerance to myself. My thing is not so much about spelling mistake, not this kind of things. It's really like some arrangement is bad, or someone is not careful or meticulous enough that they forgot this, forgot that. After working in Berlin for some years now, my mindset has changed quite a bit. I've also been in different positions, so I also now understand more from different perspectives. Speaking of work itself, actually incompetence or being irresponsible could be a kind of self-care. I think competence comes a lot from how harsh you are to yourself. Actually, do you want to force yourself to be extremely good at certain things or really specialize in certain things? That's some like you need to put pressure on yourself to be competent. Actually. And same as responsibility, whether you carry that much like so-called weight or burden on your shoulders is a lot about how much pressure you put on yourself. You need the stress to work hard to get better at something or to take care of everything, because you think if you don't do it, no one will do it. Or like if the result turns out is not so good, then it's your fault. Just more and more knowing some people both at work, but also privately as like a friend. There are lots of reasons behind this impression of ah,、uh, this person is not competent or like this person is not responsible. Not everyone prioritizes work. It could actually be a conscious choice that people just choose to focus on something else, or they think it shouldn't be just me that should be responsible for this. If something fails. It shouldn't be exclusively my responsibility. You all should share that responsibility. Why should I put in so much energy if I don't get compensated proportionally? Or I just don't even care to be good. I could be a bit mediocre. Not a problem, because that's how you play the game in the capitalistic world. You can never ever be the best one. In certain area, it's almost impossible. There is always someone that is better than you. So most of the time, it's just to make sure you don't fall under the baseline to keep your job. Why give so much shit? I don't mean that I don't give a shit at all. I give a lot of shit still. Sometimes I also have problem falling asleep. Actually, not sometimes. A lot of times, I was really like an angry teenager, like too old to be a teenager, but still really have that anger. Like, oh my god, why is this person going on vacation while I'm dealing with this shit? Even feel more when it's like my personal thing, like fun activities I organize with others. Like that kind of occasions, I also feel a lot. Like, what are you bitches doing when I'm sweating here? Why are you chilling on the sofa? Now I'm just yeah, I'm just more chilled. For people that are like me, very workaholic, or simply have this tendency, this kind of people that 
you look down on or you don't trust, they actually might be very smart people who really know how to deal with job and also set their boundary and have a good work-life balance or still, you know, mentally healthy or what and still get the same money or even more money than you. I can't hold back from shitting on my parents. This story is actually not that traumatizing, but I just kind of want to share how bizarre my childhood was without any crazy drama. Like, it's not this kind of drama that you can make it into film or, like, TV series. Not at all like this kind. It's really boring shit, but then still so bizarre because no one in my circle has done this kind of bullshit and we were all in, like, really metropolis like hong kong is not just a big city hong kong is 10 times more city than berlin sometimes i'm still like that sounds a little bit like Qing dynasty how would you do this like 20 years ago i just have really interesting parents thanks to them i have so much materials for stand up so i grew up very much in the outskirt area of hong kong i always say it's like matan in berlin Maybe some people would disagree with me. Like geographically, it's a little bit like that. It's really close to the border between Hong Kong and mainland China that we could see Shenzhen, the closest mainland city to us. There were some facility that you, you wouldn't really see in city center. For example, there was like a big factory. I, I don't know whether I could call that factory. Maybe it's more like a station thing for waste recycling. So they collect all the paper, like aluminum cans, some also fabric, like all kinds of stuff there. They either recycle them or they sell them somewhere. I, my mom, she was always a very active person. It's like she just couldn't chill at home. Sometimes when my dad was watching TV, she would just be mad at him for being there, sitting there doing nothing. So she would be like, yeah, why are you sitting there for already three hours? You should just like move a little bit or like just have a walk with me. She was always going around and check out the areas and she saw this waste recycling station. My mom is such a creative person. So she just suddenly had this idea of, oh, we could also bring all our trash here, which is kind of normal, right? This thought. But what comes after this is an educational idea of I can deepen my kids' grassroots mindset by making them do this recycling stuff. Starting from that day, I remember that she came home and she announced that I have a new task for you. You meaning me and my brother. We were definitely older than 10. It's like between 10 to 16, that, that range. Because we actually never really got pocket money from her. I don't mean anything extra, okay? I really mean the day-to-day -day money. I was not that greedy. Sometimes after school, I would also be hungry and I want to buy maybe a bun. Just never got money for, from her without working our ass off like that. Before this idea, the last idea she had was if you get like 90 out of 100 in some dictations or like some exam, then you get 10 cents. It's not much as well. She always made the currency rate so fucking bad. It's not like you just work a little bit as a gesture. 
She really wanted us to work hard to earn that money. And then she saw this waste recycling thing that she was like, we're not doing the exam oriented one anymore because, you know, that's academic stuff. We have enough of this. We should develop the next thing, which is the virtue of contentment. Also low-key a threat that if you don't study hard enough, you will become a scavenger and I want you to already experience it. So you're going to study hard for your exam without me reminding you. Such a one stone for 10 birds idea. She's very saving. Always one thing for so many different things. And she was always very proud of this idea. So we had to gather the newspaper and aluminum cans. And that was actually not that easy. Because from our home to that, yeah, let's say it's a collection point. Between that, it's like some 20 to 30 minutes of walking distance. There's no bus or any public transport between these two spots. It's remote, right? So it's not supposed to be easy to reach and accessible. Every now and then, we had to collect the newspaper. And that was still the really physical newspaper time that we always got newspaper. And especially my dad, because he was super into horse racing. So he also got this kind of horse racing newspaper. It's a different kind of newspaper that has all the horse information, like their, their size, like their past history, of course, the name and also like their owner and so like a catalog of all the horses for the next race. Our home was pretty much full of newspaper. Every time when you do it, you can't just stack them together, you know, like the newspaper, they are big. So you have to kind of fold them. Otherwise, it's hard to take them there. So we always had to fold them up to like just like an A4 size, roughly checking the dates of the newspaper because we wanted to keep at least the last seven days of newspaper still at home. So when you tie them up with a rope, you don't just tie them. You have to really step on it and press it down just to make sure it's as tight as possible. And then you make like a cross and really flip them around and then just really put them together like a very tight block. My brother was pretty good at biking, so he didn't really have to walk there. So he would just hang one block on each side, probably one more block at the back as well, and then just bike there. That would be a little bit easier. For me, because I couldn't bike so well, I wouldn't be able to balance with like two blocks. So heavy blocks also, like some five kilogram per side hanging there. So I would always take this trolley, also holding the extra stuff and have more bags and stuff like that. There was also the aluminum cans that was from my dad. Our household was really fast food free. My mom was really like, she cared a lot about food quality, not like that kind of middle-class organic food thing, but just that we don't eat deep fry stuff too much and we definitely are not allowed to have chips and like also instant noodle there's like a quota every month my dad took all the quota i feel like we never benefited from that <laughs> my dad drank a lot of cola so that's something nice because they are lighter and more expensive you know for this kind of newspaper stuff i think for one kilogram back then like 15 years ago every kilogram you probably get uh like five cents something like this. So 
it's a very labor intensive thing, but it doesn't really give you that much return. That's another thing that I think just looking back, I really find it so damn grassroots. My mom, like all her ideas were so labor intensive and she never tried to think about how to make money in a smarter way. And she always went for the the slowest and hardest way really to train our perseverance and like resilience, whatever. Like she's always trying to make it hard for everyone. Uh, but in the end, she's also not just interested in education. She was also interested in the money. Come on. This idea was able to keep us busy and she also could justify not giving us any money. We had to earn this ourselves, like with that newspaper that is like one kilogram for 10 cents. So she could also get rid of this responsibility. It's our own responsibility to make money. For the aluminum cans, you can't just bring them there like that. So you have to always press them. So I was always like stepping on them. And sometimes the cola just gets squeezed out. Of course, it's like not completely empty, right? And I was always afraid that some cockroaches would just come out from the can. It was very disgusting because it's wet. I don't like wet stuff. Uh, and not to mention, they have been sitting there for weeks. I think the aluminum can was worth like 10 cents. No, wait, no. It's like one cent per, one cent per can. So it's still better because it's much, much lighter and smaller. Back then, I was really a little bit crying inside because, I mean, this is not so shameful because... You're not going to meet anyone there. Like that's something I knew for sure that I wasn't worried about bumping into my classmates there. And then they saw me like, oh, what are you doing with all the newspapers? And you are like sweaty and dirty. Like, it's not going to be like this because no one, none of my classmates would go to that kind of places. I'm not even saying that my classmates were rich in this poor area. It's Maybe not the poorest area in Hong Kong, but definitely the top three. So my classmates were also not like rich. They were all fucking poor. Many of them were getting government subsidy, and same as us, and, but we were not even getting the full subsidy. So my family was actually kind of doing okay compared to a lot of my classmates. I was just like, why? You know, we're not even the poorest, poorest. And what, what, are, what am I doing here? And it's fucking hot. The bag is dripping, like the, the cola. So it's like some fucking 36, 37 degrees Celsius. And you had to walk the whole way there, like 20, 30 minutes. And then you make some 50 cents in total. <laughs> yeah, I was really asking, not myself, but my mom, why? I don't want to do this. But of course, she forced us. It's not like we opt in, like we couldn't opt out, you know, that we just never had a choice. We always arrived there and of course, bump into other people, mostly old ladies that were, I don't think all of them were scavengers. And then we saw some other people that did it more professionally, that they came with a truck or just like a bigger, like not a trolley, but really like a big cart that it's just going to save you quite a lot of energy. They came here with also shit loads of paper, not just like 20 kilograms, maybe like some 50 kilograms or so. People just did it way more efficiently. And some people are more like the old ladies that are just kind of doing this in their, their free time. I don't know whether they needed the money or they just wanted to still make some money when they had the time. 
it was a weird place, and looking back, it's kind of funny. I was just glad that it was not like crowded areas that I would bump into people I know. I was just happy about this, but still, that was like the shittiest part of summer to me. Of course, slowly you understand you can still become a scavenger even if you study, and maybe if you study too much, you will definitely become a scavenger. Just to think about this more positively, the only thing is, yeah, if one day I have no job and such, I I definitely know how to do this kind of shit, and maybe I can think of a way to do it more efficiently if I restart this business now. Today's life hack, um, I have one that is pretty smart actually. I just saw it online, like when you. Want to cook some frozen seafood? Before you cook them, you definitely should soak them in salt water. So the salt water really keep the taste and also the texture of the meat. This is a very important step. As I mentioned, we are like a village family in a metropolis. It's all about food. My mom, she care a lot about food. That's why we seldom dine out because she always thought that's such a waste of money. I can cook better than them. I like my food more than the restaurant's food. So if my parents spend money on things, it's usually food-related stuff. Sometimes they also bought quite expensive food ingredient. Actually, a lot. We actually make a lot of expensive food at home, but she was always like, "Yeah, because when I buy it myself, I cook it myself. It's way cheaper than going to a restaurant, which is true. But of course, it's a lot of work. Sometimes they would buy this kind of frozen seafood, like this kind of big shrimps from some I don't know, like Australia or just like some Western country. Always somehow, whenever they cook them." It's always very tasteless. That's why they were always complaining after cooking. That's just a scam. They just put some Western shit on it and write a lot of English on the package and make it fucking expensive. It's actually not worth that much, and it tastes shit. Then my dad picked this up and kind of used this concept for everything. He's always going for made in China things, but then also to make sure the package looks like made in China. He doesn't trust anything with fancy packaging. If you write too much English on it, or I mean, it doesn't matter. Just like some Western language on it on the package, then he will be like, they are just writing all these English or some Western language to fool you that you don't understand. You can't read, and it looks like some imported goods. They were always very skeptical, and we never really buy this kind of frozen seafood again. That they are always like frozen shit has no taste, and that's like a dumb technique white people invented. And they always say like white people don't know how to cook. They always eat this cold veggies that they mean salad. To them, it's not like that's not food when you're not civilized. That you just put all the raw veggies together. So,、uh, yeah, that's what they think about salad. Same as the frozen food that. Was always a myth. I was also thinking the same that white people must be stupid. Actually, it must not be white people because it was always written like Australia, New Zealand, like Norway. They just wrote always this kind of white people country thing. That was also 2005. That's also my imagination of ah okay. So those countries they eat food like this. What a hard life.、Um, yes. 
so that's all of this episode. It's a mix of different things, but it's also a cleaner episode compared to last episode. Please help me promote my podcast. I beg you. <laughs> yeah. Now that I've learned the reality, I really beg you. Please、uh, subscribe and share. <laughs>、uh, right. So that's it.、Uh, have a nice evening. Bye for now.